Alright guys, it is good to be here, and it's really exciting to see what's going on here. And Dave tells me that you guys love evangelism, that as a church you're learning and growing in that area, and that gets me excited, because I am so excited and passionate about seeing this next generation one for Jesus. And Chip called me uh, maybe two weeks ago, and asked if we'd be available to speak this morning, and he said, can you talk about reaching this next generation for Christ? And I thought, there is probably nothing in this world I'd rather talk about. We're not just going to take a passage and analyze it this morning. There's going to be a whole lot of scripture. Bear with me if, if there seems to be too much at times. Because I think God's word is a lot more important than any of my opinions. But I really want you guys to come away from this morning with a vision for how to reach the young people in your city. All right? And so that's kind of what we're going to hit today. And then we're going to have kind of some neat activities afterwards, after church is dismissed, that I hope you'll each be a part of. So as we get started here, I wanted to turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and read that together. So turn with me to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And as you're turning there, I wanted to tell you briefly about who we are, because most of us have never met before. My wife, Erin, uh, is right back there. You, you can wave again, honey. And both of us left our jobs about six and a half years ago and told God, basically, if you want us to reach college students for you, then you're going to have to pay our bills. You're going to have to meet our needs. And he does, he's done that faithfully for six and a half years. And so we have what many call the greatest job in the world. We get to spend every day on campus meeting with college students like Dakota, Jack, and Brandon back there and encouraging them in their walks with God, reaching others for Christ. And it's an exciting, exciting time to be doing that. And you'll see as we talk today that this generation is hungry for Jesus. And so we, we would there's no other place we'd rather be. So we live in Durango. We have two beautiful little girls that are actually in the nursery. You'll get to see them a little bit later. Eliana is two in a couple months. And Kara just came this summer. Oh, sorry about that. And she's five months. And she is a sweet little redhead. And so that's who we are. And there's some more information on your handouts that you'll get about how to stay in touch with us at the end. And I really hope that you'll stay in touch. And I, I really would like to ask you to shoot me an email after this uh, service today. And I'd love to put you on our email list. We have an email list of people that pray for us. And we'll share what's going on on campus and ask. Dave knows all about this. We've had a really interesting month. And prayer and encouragement from people like Dave and from you guys has really kept us motivated to keep going for it. And a lot of interesting things. So as we get started, let's go ahead and read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to read it up here. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so why reach this generation? As we talk about reaching this generation, why reach this generation? Well, I wanted to start by saying, first and foremost, God told you to. <laughs> So, it, it, that's pretty simple, right? Right there we are given what we call the Great Commission. To go and reach all people for Jesus Christ. And that includes this next generation of younger people. A lot of you guys here today are younger people. And you have all sorts of friends that need Jesus. And all of you, whether you're old or young, are called to reach this generation for Christ. Alright? So the first reason that we want to reach this generation for Christ is that God told us to. Second, and I want you guys to get this, no generation in the history of the world has had more potential than this one does. Let that sink in. No generation in the history of this world has had more potential than this one does. And here's why. They have transportation abilities that previous generations did not have. Right? They have 
come into the world at a time where globalization has opened countries and people groups and doors that were never open even 10 years ago, right? This is a little hot. Could you guys turn this mic down just a touch or something? I don't know. So globalization has led to this situation where they have access that you guys and myself and in times past never had, right? You can go now into countries that we could never go into before. They can blog and reach countries that they could never reach before and that, that no generation in history has been able to reach, right? They have communication capabilities that nobody's ever had before. Cell phones, smartphones, internet, Skype. We can talk on video across the computer anywhere in the world. I talk to friends in closed countries on the internet, face-to-face. This didn't exist 10 years ago, right? Uh, Technology has expanded in such a way that it's opened doors for this generation that nobody's ever had. Social networks are just an example. I have friends on my, on my Facebook account all over the world, including in, in closed countries, Muslim countries, other countries. There never used to be a technological way like that where I could get on and chat with them in real time out of the blue. Right? And every time I put a post on my Facebook account, they get to potentially hear the gospel. There's an idea I'll share with you towards the end about something that you could put up, a personalized survey, that would expose everybody in your network of friends to the gospel. It's kind of exciting. But anyway, when you think about all this, I think that this generation has the first real chance of any generation in history to honestly fulfill the Great Commission. Does that make sense? They're the first ones that literally could go to every people group on this planet that literally could reach every person on this planet with the gospel. And so they need to be reached themselves, right? And I, I think if we, if we neglect to reach them, we neglect to fulfill the Great Commission that Christ called us to that we just read a minute ago. So third, why should you reach this generation for Christ? And I'm going to put it bluntly, that's the whole reason you're here, right? Acts 17, 26 through 27 says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So here's the deal. Why do you live in Montrose? God says he determined the times and the places that each of you would live so that men, so that people around you would reach out for God. The whole reason you're here is not an accident. God didn't make a mistake when he landed you in Montrose. Right? You're here to reach the people around you for Christ, and that includes the next generation. Right? So three reasons that we should reach this generation. God told us to. They have more potential than any generation in history. And it's the whole reason that we're here in the first place. Now with that in mind, it's easy for, for us to look at this next generation and say, and maybe some of you younger folks in here have, have felt this, it's easy for us older people to think, they're not too interested in Jesus. So I want to go to Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And it says this. And we're gonna, I'm going to kind of hit these passages fast. If you want to write them down, you can. If you want to turn there, feel free. But we're going to go straight to it. In Matthew 9, 36 through 38, it says, When he saw the crowds talking about Jesus, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Okay, so there are a few things that I want us to realize about this short passage. Uh, Number one is, we need God's heart for the next generation. We need to have compassion for the next generation. It's easy to look at them and think they are crazy and out of their mind, and to not have compassion on them where they're at. Isn't isn't, Isn't that true? Haven't you ever been tempted to think that way? These youngsters, they're crazy. Okay. Gosh, I feel weird calling myself old. I'm only 32, but 
I'm no longer a kid. It's interesting. But we need to have Christ's heart for the next generation, a heart of compassion for them, where we see that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, because that's exactly where they are. And we'll hit this a little bit as we go further, guys, but there's never been a generation that has dealt with so much pain, with so much brokenness, with so many failed relationships, with so many failed marriages and families. These students talk about drug and substance abuse, talk talk about sexual experimentation. All these things have created a situation where the next generation is more empty and more lonely than any in history. And we can look at that emptiness and loneliness and that moral depravity and say they're out of their minds and they're crazy, and we're going to kick them to the wayside. Or we can say, I need God's heart of compassion for them. They, They need a Savior. They need somebody that's going to love them and invest in their lives. So I want to encourage you, when you see that moral depravity, we need to believe Matthew 9.37 is correct, that the harvest is ripe. And instead of seeing it just as evidence that they're crazy, we need to see that moral depravity as evidence that they're searching. Right? They're trying things you never tried. Right? They're willing to go further than you ever went. And they're doing it to try and find some answers, and they're coming up empty. And that's leaving the harvest extremely ripe, just like Jesus said, right? They're finding that nothing has answers. They're finding that nothing makes any sense. And here we know a Savior that does have all the answers and does make a whole lot of sense and actually will meet them and meet their needs right where they're at. So when we see this generation, instead of saying, oh, they're crazy, we need to say, one, I want God's heart for them, and two, they are a ripe harvest, They are a ripe harvest, ready to be one for Jesus Christ. And then finally, I wanted you to make another observation from that passage. The problem isn't with the harvest, but with the harvesters, right? Jesus didn't say, gosh, that harvest is so unplentiful. He said, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. So instead of pointing the finger, I need to be realized, I need to get in the harvest. I need to get in the harvest. The problem is with the lack of workers, not with the amount of work to be done. Does that make sense? So when we don't see work being done, when we don't see people coming to know Christ, we need to say, we're the problem. We need to get out in the harvest. And so as an example of a young person from your town that was hungry for Jesus, whether he knew it or not, I want to invite Dakota up, and he's going to briefly share with us his story of how he came to Christ. So welcome. Cool. Hey guys, good morning. I'm Dakota. Um, I actually am from Montrose. I've been here most of my life. I've been here for like 15 years, and now I go to Fortless College. But uh, I actually grew up in a Native American church house, I guess, and I grew up uh, learning all their spiritual ways and stuff, and that's really how I just kind of came to know God, I guess, because Native American church, like the creator, they know all that stuff. So I got to know that and learned good morals and all that stuff. And But I guess I still just want to do stuff on my own. And I guess I just push and shove that stuff away. And throughout high school, I just kind of did my own thing. And I didn't really see God as anything else, just being a person that tells me what to do. And I didn't want that. But then uh, my senior year at Montrose High School, uh, I just uh, met a group of friends and... Uh, Actually, Brandon here, uh, he was a leader at a, youth, uh, a Young Life, and uh, he invited me, him and a couple friends invited me, so I decided to go, and uh, it was really cool, I started going, 
they had all these games and just hang out with friends, and I just went to that for like the rest of the year. And once that ended, like once the school year ended, that ended too. So I was like, dang, I have like nothing, I guess. But then I started going to the Grove at Grace Community Church, and that's like where I really first heard like anything about Jesus, anything about what the Bible had to say. And so I guess I started going there for uh, this girl, <laughs> of all things. <laughs> I really liked her, so I was like, okay, I'll go hang out with you and stuff. So I started going, and then we eventually started dating. And then as summer went on, uh, I started just being, just really seeing, like, who I was and what I was doing. And it was not good. I was just sinning and just really seeing all the stuff that, in my life, that was not good. And it was not the life I wanted to live in the future. So, like, this one night at the at the Grove, um, the girl, like, she said, like, she couldn't be with me because, like, I really didn't believe in a God, and I was still, like, learning all this stuff, and I really wasn't at that point yet to believe in a God. So this one night, uh, they did the prayer and all that stuff, and I accepted Christ, but it was more for, like, her acceptance so we could possibly be together again. So it was just totally not for the right reasons. So I did that, and, and then actually, then like a couple weeks after that, I, I went to Fort Lewis College for my first year, and then there I I wasn't good at all either. I did the whole college thing for a little bit, and then uh, Brandon, who's down there too, and we knew each other before, so he invited me to connect, and I was just like, okay, I'll go. So I went to the first one, and I thought it was pretty cool, and then the second one, um, I actually heard this verse that uh, John 3.16 uh, like for, go, for God to love the world uh, give his one and only son that uh, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and I don't know just something in that just really hit me and after Connect I went into like, my room and like actually prayed the prayer and accepted him like for real and it was just so awesome and then just like God ever since like just working on my heart and the whole ministry down in Connect, just, I'm so thankful and blessed to have that down there and just to have fellowship and have uh, people around me just to encourage me and stuff. And then uh, then the beginning of this summer, actually, I, like, really decided to, like, go hard for it, like, follow hard after Jesus. And God just blessed me with so many opportunities to grow and have an awesome foundation in Him. And, uh, I got to like be a leader at uh, the Grove uh, at Grace Community, and that just showed me so much. Like the hearts for like this for Montrose, like working with like kids from the high school and middle school, it was just so amazing how much like they want to know Jesus, they want to know, and they're looking for something. And just seeing that is just so so encouraging to like this generation, like my generation, and. I don't know, something about that just really was awesome, and I was so blessed to be there. And then had an awesome summer just growing in God, and then I came back to Connect in Fort Lewis, and here I am now, I guess, just really, really trying to just fall more in love with Jesus and just try to, I don't know, know Him more and uh, really reach out to this uh, generation to know, know more, just like I do. So, I guess that's basically it.
that you guys will get to hear uh, from some of the other guys, too, as we keep going. So I want to encourage you, commit to becoming the worker that God can use. This is not just so much about them, but it's really about you and your heart. Are you going to be who God wants you to be to reach this generation for Christ? And I hope that you'll say yes. And some things that I want to encourage you to, and this will make sense more, is they need you to model an authentic walk with God for them. And they need you to live a transparent life of integrity. We'll hit these points again. They need you to be committed to prayer. Reaching the next generation doesn't start with evangelism, even though that is a huge focus of ours. It starts with prayer. Are you going to be praying for this next generation? Remember, that's what Jesus started with in Matthew 9, 38. Pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. Right? So as a church, become committed to praying for this next generation. And then... Be an answer to your own prayer. Get in the action, right guys? Start sharing your faith boldly because it's something that they need to hear. All right, so know the generational characteristics of those you're trying to reach. We're going to hit some generational characteristics because I think it's easy once you get older. I'm starting to find this. I I start to look at Dakota and go, ooh, are skinny jeans in style now? Because when I was in school, they weren't, (laughs) okay? I'm starting to realize I don't remember anymore what's cool. Right? You guys have probably felt that way for some of you for a while. Some of you uh, feel like, man, that guy's not cool at all up there. But regardless of where you're at, you need to know who you're reaching out to. It's the same with any missionary. They would want to learn their culture. So if you're going to reach this next generation for Christ, know this generation. And with that, I want to make a note. They change all the time. Aaron and I have been in full-time ministry for six and a half years. And the pattern that we see is about every three years, they dramatically change. I mean, dramatically. It's almost like a button goes off, and they're totally different than they were a year ago. And this seems to happen about every three years. We don't understand it. But I want to encourage you, this is where a lot of the next generation are now, but you need to be observant. You can't just read this and for the next 30 years assume that this is going to be the case, right? So be observant. And the only way that you can really be be flexible and changing along with them, changing in your approach, I should say, and that all makes sense in a minute, is to really be personally involved with them in such a way that that you'll know where they're at. So here are seven trends that Barna researchers have noticed about this next generation, and I'm going to paraphrase those here. Uh, First, they embrace change and shun tradition. A lot of us, if you're older than 30, you probably love things to be kind of routine and predictable. They don't like that. Look at Facebook. It changes about every month because this next generation embraces change, right? They emphasize feelings over information and logic. Sometimes that might drive you nuts, but it's often the case. And and I'm not saying that's right. Again, I'm not saying that these seven characteristics are correct, and they're not all wrong. This is just who you're dealing with, and we should know that. They pursue relevance, not excellence. Did you get that? Relevance, not excellence. It's very rare that I see a student say, I have a schedule in my hand, and I'm committed to getting straight A's in school, and I'm going to work as hard as I can at my job to make my employer satisfied. I don't get that usually. Usually it's more, I deserve $25, and why should I show up on time, right? Excellence is not the big deal, but, but relevance is in a lot of their minds. They're more technological and less hardworking, Okay, many of you probably went, oh yeah, that's definitely right. Uh, they prioritize relationships over performance. You get that? Relationships over performance. And they are searching for reality while they reject facades. They're not interested in facades. 
They really want to know what's real. And I want to make a note there. Part of the reason that they are pursuing reality or or searching for reality is because they're so scared of reality in their own lives in in a lot of ways. And you young people probably know this. You're afraid of what people think, right? So everything is about your image. What's on Facebook? What kind of clothes do I wear? What kind of music do I listen to? Everything revolves around how are people going to view me, right? Isn't that kind of the case? And so I want to be real careful not to say or do anything that's going to get people to not like me. Right? So because this facade has been built up so much, internally they yearn for reality, I think. And they want to see it in you, right, before they walk in it themselves. Finally, they yearn for meaning more than the American dream. Right? And we call that the six C's. Cash, cars, careers, condos, cuties, and computers. All right? <laughs> so they're, well, I guess they're pretty computer-oriented, too. But anyway, they're yearning for meaning more than the American dream. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And we need to know that if we're going to reach them. Based on those characteristics and our experience in working with these students, we've developed what we call the five R's. Write these down because I think if you can target your ministry towards this next generation with these five principles, they're five keys, you're going to be very effective in reaching them for Christ. Uh, Number one is uh, they reach this generation by being real. Reach this generation by being relevant. I'll talk about that in a minute. I don't mean by compromising the truth. Right? We cannot back down from the truth, and I'll hit that harder, but we need to reach them in a relevant way. It's more about the presentation than the content being relative. Right? Uh, we need to reach them by being relational. We need to reach them by being revolutionary. They don't want the status quo. And we need to reach them by giving them a role. Okay? So this generation is searching, going to real. This generation is searching for leaders that will be real, authentic, and vulnerable. They've seen too many hypocrites, and they don't like hypocrites. They hate hypocrisy. If I ask most students on our campus, if I asked 100 students, do you like church? I promise you over 90% would say no. And if I asked, do you like Jesus? I bet 100% would say yes. In fact, in 12 years on that campus, four as a student... Six and a half as full-time staff, two as part-time staff. I've yet to meet a student that says, no, I don't like Jesus. A lot of them have misconceptions about who he is, right? But I want to encourage you, they've seen a hypocritical church, and they've assumed that's how they all are, and they're sick of it. And if we're going to reach them, we need to put an end to that. We need to be the ones that are going to be real with them, walking lives of integrity, being authentic and vulnerable, letting them see us for who we are in Christ. Hypocrisy puts us in opposition to what God is trying to do to reach them. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And that's what happens when we compromise in our Christian walks, and when we live a hypocritical Christian life, and then try to reach this next generation for Christ, our own life becomes opposition to what God is trying to do. Does that make sense? So it is time for us to begin walking in integrity, vulnerability, honesty, and out in the open clear for them to see. They perceive Christians as being talkers and not doers, as not really having any answers at all. They really believe that. Isn't that right? Most most people at Fort Lewis probably think Christians don't have any answers. They're just like everybody else I know. Uh, Pornography in the church, I'm just going to throw this out there, it is as high or higher than it is anywhere else in in our... Society, I would venture to say, statistically, that it's in the 80 to 90 percent of men and more than a quarter of women in the church are involved in pornography. Uh, that also is leading to a lot of marriage issues, divorce. Divorce rates in the church are higher than they are outside the church. 
a lot of anger, a lot of selfishness, a lot of materialism. A lot of churches have gone down a very materialistic road, right? Where that's even even preached as spiritual. Um, Christians have become self-righteous. Even in our sin, we've looked at this next generation self-righteously. And they see us as faking the Christian life. You guys have just as many problems as anybody else, if not more. Why in the world are you trying to tell me about your Savior? Does that make sense? And so if we want to reach them, we really got to get real and start walking in integrity and authenticity and vulnerability and being transparent to the next generation where they can see us walking in integrity. Okay? So I want to encourage you guys to be real with them. And, and if you have those issues, you are... You are doing an injustice to the ministry if you try to minister in spite of those issues. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. That's the whole joy of the gospel, is that none of us are. But I want to encourage you, if you're dealing with any of those issues, get with your pastor, get with Dave, get with somebody that you can trust that's going to be a confidential source and start some accountability and start working through some of those things so that you can get to a point where you're the type of person that can live a transparent life in front of these students with real answers. Where they can see your marriage. Students ask us about our marriage all the time. In vulnerable details. And you know what? We've had many students say, you're the first good marriage we've ever seen. That's sad, right? That's sad. Many of these students are coming from broken families. The majority of them, in fact. Okay, so we need to be real with them. So, they want you to walk in integrity. And they want you to challenge them too as well. With all of our guys, we have strong accountability. And I think that that is a benefit to our ministry. We're not shoving that stuff under the carpet. But we're going to walk in accountability and integrity together. They don't want you to pretend like those issues aren't there. They want you to be bold and bring them up and be there to support each other. Right? They want to know vulnerable details about you. Be appropriate. They want to be able to be vulnerable with you. Let them. Right? Um, we <laughs> And Aaron and I, just on a side note, we're so sick of, of students that get kicked out of youth group because of the questions they asked about being real, I want to encourage you, let them be real. We hear every year, I got kicked out of youth group because I asked this question. right? And that is so sad to us. We need to be real and let them ask things. When you say, don't ask those kinds of questions, they hear we don't have those answers. right? Even if you don't know the answers, be committed to finding the answers. And believe me, if we don't share the answers, they're going to get them from somewhere else, and it's probably not somewhere that you want them to be getting those answers from. Right, so we need to be real and get the answers and share those with them. We have Thursday dinners every Thursday, and we open up a Q&A time afterwards. We put a basket on the table, and we tell people no question is off limits. Nothing. You can write it on paper. It's all anonymous. Throw it in there. Nobody will even know it was you. Anything you can ask. And it creates the most awesome times of discussion where all these questions get brought up, and people can do it in a safe place. Let them have that opportunity to really engage with you. So be real with them. The next generation expects content and events to be relevant. Okay? And I want to I say Titus 2.10 says, Make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That's a good principle. And I want to warn you, truth is the only thing that is relevant. So don't back down from the truth in the name of relevance. And a lot of people are doing that right now. We just need to be relevant with this generation. We need to reach them, so we're going to back down from the truth. That's not godly, and that's wrong. Truth is all that is relevant. right? So don't compromise or back down from the truth. Don't try to be relevant with what you say, but rather with how you say it. right? And we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. Uh, if they aren't seeing God's word as relevant, 
help them see it as relevant by exposing them to situations that will create teachability. I think this is huge, right? One example is confrontation and dealing with awkward situations. This generation hates confrontation. Part of that is because they have really bad boundaries. Does that make sense? The boundaries issue, where do I end and you begin? A lot of this gets violated daily. People don't know. People take responsibility for each other's feelings and all sorts of crazy stuff happens. We need to help people walk through some of those issues. Aaron and I think of college ministry probably the first year you guys are hearing all of our secrets now. Jack's like, yeah, tell me. (laughs) A lot of times there's some reparenting that needs to be done because students have come from such poor family backgrounds that basic issues never got taught. We've had... Students call up, I'm so mad at this girl. I'm, oh, she didn't leave us a deposit. Oh, I'm so mad at her. Remember this? Aaron remembers this exact conversation. This, this, these girls are furious at their, at their future roommate for not leaving a deposit. And then Aaron asks, so when did you tell her to, to give you the deposit? Oh, we didn't. Wait, what? We, she should have known. Wait, what? I mean, there's like this fundamental breakdown of communication skills that was happening, right? So walk them through some life examples that show where God's word is relevant. We would take a student like that, point him to some scripture, Matthew 18 maybe, about going to your brother, bringing this stuff up, and, and then show them how to do it, and then do it with them, and show them the results and how scripture came through as the only option for them, right? So develop some teachability there. Okay, here are some uh, some big things that, that I think are important. Some examples of relevance. Technology. Get a Facebook account if you don't. Uh, friend request people. <laughs> Invite people to different things that you're doing on Facebook. Uh, you guys comment and like their comments, right? It shows a lot that you're taking an interest in them. Right? I like that the Broncos just won. Wow, I like that you said that. Does that make sense? It's something really simple, but it's a way for you to show this next generation that you actually care. We want to encourage you, too, that since they hate events and quote-unquote church and denominations, when you do events, I want to make this note, they're a lot more interested in the process than the events. Right? Sunday morning is not high in the priority list of the next generation. But you taking an interest in their life and helping walk them through life issues is high on their priority list. So if you're going to make events a target for them, connect, Dakota talked about it as our weekly event on campus, we, do, we try to make that as dynamic as we can. We try to to always have God's word, but we change it up week to week. We don't just have the same predictable format every week where they sit and watch. We try to engage them on a weekly basis with God's word. So be creative. Avoid boring, predictable spectator events. I would encourage you to do that in making your presentation of God's word relevant. But keep it on God's word. Because going back to their focus more on feelings than information and logic, a lot of this next generation, even ones that have grown up in the church, don't have any grounding whatsoever in truth, and they need that. Otherwise, they're going to crash and burn in this world, right? So keep it focused the right way. Okay, this generation desires ministry context to be relational. Not not the events, but rather the process. The postmodern shift has been terrible in a lot of ways, but a positive aspect of that is it's created a strong dependence on relationships and need for relationships. So reach them with those, um, reach them relationally, right? Most of them are dealing again with, like I said, with more brokenness and pain than anyone in history and they need you to take a personal interest in their life. I want to give you Paul's example with the Thessalonians. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, you know 
that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to you or to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That kind of personal investment, um, like a mother with her children, like a father with his children, One walking in integrity, like Paul talked about there, is what this generation desperately needs to see. So some examples, some encouragement. I would encourage you, they need one-on-one discipleship. You're not going to create mature Christians or reach the next generation simply through events. They need you to personally, one-on-one, engage with them in discipleship. And evangelism, we'll get there in a minute. We do retreats, we do dinners every week, we do lots of Bible studies in small groups. All those are relational ways to reach this next generation. Okay, this generation wants actions and application to be revolutionary. They are very excited about hope and change. That's why the last election turned out the way it did. Okay, and I want to encourage you, realize that they are interested in changing things, right? They are interested in changing things. Previous generations maybe were okay with just things going as they are. Or if they are mad about it, like my grandfather used to say, my dad tells me this story, uh, he hated the St. Louis Post-Dispatch because it was so liberal. And they called to get his, uh, his subscription reordered, right, Dad? And, and he, he's telling the lady, he, as he's reordering his subscription, he, he's telling her how much he hates their newspaper. And she says, well, why are you buying it, sir? And he says, I read it so I can get mad at it. <laughs> so and that might have been the last generation. This generation is not going to do that. They want to change things. They want to be actively involved in a revolution. Okay, the reality of the vision, 5 billion plus people that need Jesus, is a big revolutionary vision, right? And it's something that we can all rally behind, and they can too. Both hearing the good news and sharing the good news are revolutionary. So Brandon's going to share with us real briefly, and we're going to keep this kind of short. We might go a few more minutes here, guys. Uh, Dave, you gave me too much freedom. Dave said, just go until you're done. But no, we'll get you out of here soon. But Brandon's going to tell us a little bit about the revolutionary... uh, issue of sharing his faith and how that keeps him motivated to serve God. Cool. Uh, so my name Thanks. My name is Brandon. Um, I was born and raised in Montrose. I actually went, uh, graduated from the high school and I go to Fort Lewis. And I just want to share with you uh, how just sharing my faith to my generation just really makes me passionate in, uh, in my growth with God. So it really starts out, when I went to college, that's when I ultimately decided that I was ready to actually grow with God. I was ready to be serious and to actually let Him change me on the inside and out. Because before that, it was really, my relationship with God was really just on the surface level. It wasn't really deep. So, in part of growing with God and letting Him change me, I started investing in the Word and I started being led by the Holy Spirit uh, daily and started seeking fellowship as much as I could every day preferably and that just really changed me and what that really sparked up was I wanted to share this with my friends and it's just is changing me so much and is making such an awesome impact on my life that 
I really wanted to share that. So I had an opportunity. It was really scary, but to first share my faith, and it was with strangers. And we're actually downtown Denver, Nate and I, uh, just sharing with people, asking them if they had time to uh, take a quick survey, which we're going to be doing after this uh, on these tables. But just really taking people's time and just sharing with them uh, the good news and stuff. And it was really scary, but every time God came through really quick. People would ask me questions, and uh, God would remind me, the Holy Spirit would remind me of Scripture, and it was just really cool. And what it really did was it reminded me, myself, of what Christ has done in my life. It reminded me of the good news just on a really fundamental level. And just that alone re-sparked my interest, re-got me on fire for God. And that was really cool. And also, I was getting to share the best news in the universe. We weren't talking about sports. We weren't talking about snowboarding, my favorite kind of stuff. We're talking about stuff that really has an impact, stuff that's really important. So that is really good. But the most awesome thing that really made me passionate about it was just the fact that God was using me and just the fact, like Nate said, that I have a role that I can actually make a difference in people's lives. And it was just really cool. That's when I felt most alive. That's when I felt like I actually had a purpose in this life. If I can help someone else, if I can share some light in someone else's darkness, that's pretty much what it comes down to. And I can't really think of anything else that's bigger than that. And, uh, there's this girl, uh, this summer we got to share at the Night Vision concert. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with that. I shared with this girl, and God was so awesome because this girl was just ready. She was just like, okay, yeah, that's what I want. Let's do it. So she accepted Christ. We said the prayer, and uh, right afterwards she saw the expression on my face, and she said, you're really happy right now, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, you have no idea. This is... This is probably one of the happiest moments in my life. Just to see someone come from uh, not knowing Christ to beginning a relationship. I had like tears in my eyes. It was really awesome. So I like to think of the verse uh, Philippians 1.20. It is my eager hope and expectation that I will no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted, whether by life or death. So... I just really hope that I won't ever really be ashamed to share, but I'll have sufficient courage, and Christ will be glorified out of that. And Yeah, so overall, just sharing just really boosted my passion for growing with God. It really made me have a purpose. And after I share, I just want to like get into the Word after that, and it's just it's really good. So, yeah, thank you. Wow. I just want to say... If you're a young person, that is a revolutionary way to live your life. <laughs> Being a light in the middle of your high school or wherever you're at for Jesus is probably more revolutionary than anything anybody in that school is doing. So go for it. And if you're doing it, man, you are my biggest hero. I'm so proud of you. So anyway, I love hearing about stories like that, like Brandon just shared. I want to tell all of you in here, Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, if you follow him, he will make you fishers of men. In other words, if you're following him, you're called to evangelism. There are ten evangelism lies that you can read there. We don't have time to go through them all, but I want to hit one. And it's the lie that only people that are gifted with evangelism should share their faith. And I want to say, would you ever say that about encouragement? What if, I'm trying to think of somebody, what's your name? Rick. Rick. What if Rick comes up to me and says, Nate, it's been a hard week. 
and I need some encouragement. And I said, ah, maybe Chip could do that, because he's gifted with encouragement, but I'm not. That's not my gifting, so tough luck, Rick. Uh, what, what if I said that? What about, what's your name? Becky. What if, what if Becky said, gosh, you know, we've had some hard times, and we don't have much food. Could we come over for dinner? And I said, uh, sorry, Dave has the gift of hospitality, but not me. You know, what, what if we talk like this about anything else in Scripture? It's silly. It's insane. And I don't know how this floats in the Christian world, because it doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't jive with Scripture. So all of you in here, even if you're a little youngster, you're called to be active in evangelism, active in sharing your faith, doing just like Brandon did, and God can use all of you. So I just want to encourage you with that. The good news is so revolutionary, guys. And in Romans 10, 13-14 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? Right? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So, it is time for us to start verbalizing the good news with our mouths and our actions both right, in a way that will reach this generation for Christ. And just like Dakota needed to hear the good news as a youth in this city, and just like Brandon as a youth in this city is excited about sharing the good news, both hearing and sharing the good news are revolutionary. And they're more revolutionary than hope and change, right? They are the only hope that we could ever hope for, right? The good news is, Jesus is our only hope. There's nothing else, guys. No one else has the answers, right? So... Going on, some evangelism tools. You can see uh, some, some links right there. I want to encourage you to develop your personal testimony. Learn how to use the solarium. I'll leave you a few copies. It's going to be on the back tables today. Do it, too, before you leave. Go up to one of these tables and do the solarium. It'll be fun. Uh, learn how to use your social media, in particular Facebook, to share your faith. There's a link right there. And if you go to that link after the Facebook survey, you can learn a really neat tool. For developing a survey that you can post on Facebook and, and share your faith through that. It's awesome, so please do it. All right, and go to our blog. The link is right there, eternityimpact.blogspot.com. On the left-hand side, we keep an updated tab with new, convenient, easy evangelism ideas. And right now we have 47 or 48 ideas up there. Start applying those. Most of them are things you could do right now. They're not that difficult, okay? So, so go check them out and start putting those into practice. So that's the, the revolutionary R. So we had real, relevant, relational, and revolutionary. A lot of those have to do with you and your actions. The last one has to do with them. They want a role. They yearn to be trusted. If there's anything this next generation yearns for, it's your trust. And you might be thinking, well, they haven't earned it. And, and you might be very right. They still want it. So, so you need to find ways as you engage them and reach out to them to give them opportunities to develop some trust, right? Give them little steps at their level to start gaining and earning some trust. And then when they do that, show them that you trust them, right? They need that from you, and they need you to give them a role. Okay, so that being said, uh, before I go on further about, about having a role, I'll just say this and then let you talk. Last week, I just... We were, I was thinking about all these R's, and I told Jack, I was, we were, it was our discipleship time, and I said, Jack, what if you never got a role in anything we do as a ministry? What, what would happen? He said, I wouldn't be here. So with that in mind, I thought it would be great to hear just a few minutes from him about having a role. So come on up. Yeah, so I'm Jack, uh, transfer student to the Fort Last year from Wyoming, I'm originally from Alaska, but, uh, yeah? All right. 
<laughs> but uh, I don't know. I just I've got some verses for you. Uh, Romans um, twelve eleven goes on to say, uh, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Uh, be joyful in hope, uh, patient in affliction, uh, faithful in prayer. Uh, share with God's people who are who are in need, and practice hospitality." And uh, let's see here. Second Timothy four five says, uh, "But keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, uh, do the work of an evangelist, uh, discharge all the duties of your ministry." And then, um, yeah, First Timothy four twelve. It's one of my favorites. Uh, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Um, yeah, like like Nate was saying, we uh, we were meeting, and yeah, I was just real honest. It was like if like if it was all adults, all staff members, you know, preaching, you know, doing the work, it it wouldn't be fruitful for us because. Um, actually being active and being a part of, you know, the Great Commission, you know, reaching people uh, in that ministry is so encouraging. It's so, like, yeah, if I wasn't able to do that, then I wouldn't be as stoked as I am. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just real encouraging to be able to have that active role um, in there, so... So exciting. Okay, so uh, as we as we talk about this this role issue, I want to say one of the worst mistakes you can do is make it all adult led. If you're reaching the next generation, you've got to find a way to incorporate them. And a lot of times, youth ministries make this critical error of making it college student led, right? And oftentimes, they don't know where those college students are. And I would say they're probably, in some cases, the last people you would want next to your youth. And in other cases, even if they're good college students, like these guys that love God and are passionately following him, you're robbing from them the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing and to really be passionate about serving him. Romans 12, 11, you quoted it, says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So if you want this next generation to be passionate about God, to keep their spiritual fervor, it's not going to happen until you give them opportunities to be serving the Lord, right? So involve them in the ministry at their level. Don't blow them out of the water, but also don't hold them back when they're ready. Get them involved at their level and reaching their own peers for Christ. And you're going to make some amazing leaders as you do that, because I want to I tell you kind of a leadership principle here. Uh, you're never going to develop leadership until you face risk. And the most risky group to face is your peers, for a college student to reach high school students, it's not that risky. They're already idolized, right? They could do or say anything, and they're still going to be loved and adored. But when you have to reach your own peers, if you're a high school student taking a stand for Jesus in high school, that takes a whole lot of risk and a whole lot of guts. And as you encourage them at their right level to take those risks and to take those steps, you're developing big-time leaders. And I promise you, they're going to continue multiplying until Jesus returns. So give them a role in it all. All right, so the strategy. First of all, and this is in closing, be the right person, then 
do the right things to reach this generation. First, focus on who you are with God and becoming the right person. Then doing the right strategy to reach them. And then God's going to do it. If you start just applying some basic principles of Scripture, I'm going to tell you there's no silver bullet. If you start just sharing the good news, if you start walking in integrity, if you start loving people genuinely, you're going to reach this generation. It's not a, it's not a mystery. Right? It's pretty simple. They're people, just like you and me. They need a Savior, just like you and me. And as I follow my Savior, He's going to reach them through me. Right? I want to encourage you, as you do that, to apply the five R's. Be real, relevant, relational, revolutionary, and then give them a role in this whole process. Also, be committed to getting more training. Like I said, be flexible. They're changing. Continue to know them. And continue to get training in how to share your faith and how to do discipleship. You can go to the link there, eternityimpact.com slash capital MLTC HTML. That stands for Ministry Leadership Training Class. We have Right now we have 10 classes. We'll be adding two more before the end of the semester on how to share your faith, how to meet new people, how to do discipleship, how to follow up with somebody that you've just shared with, how to lead, how to lead a multiplying Bible study. There's training on all that stuff there. So if you need some more training, that's one place. It's by no means the only place. Just get more training. Develop a top ten list. Right now, or when you get home, write out the names of ten young people that you want to trust Christ to reach. And then commit to praying for them daily. Right? Commit to praying for them daily. And then finally, get in the action. Go with Dave sometime. Start sharing your faith. We're going to leave you some of these solarium packets today. It's a neat new tool for sharing your faith with young people. I pray that you'd start using those. And then as you share your faith, start doing intentional one-on-one discipleship, guys. Start discipling people. At this age, even as young as they might be, they are making life decisions. Some of the biggest decisions I ever made in my life were when I was 11. I remember those decisions clearly. And thank you, Dad, for walking me through some of those decisions back when I was 11. Because they affect where I'm at today. Okay? So you guys, don't believe the lie that they're just young. They can't make big decisions. Now, all that being said, I want to say, unfortunately, you don't have what it takes. Sounds kind of depressing, right? But don't worry. The Holy Spirit in you is more than qualified to do this. (laughs) Okay? And He wants to live Christ's life through you. So just realize, I am not sufficient, but He is... And, uh, and he can do it through me as I surrender my will to his and let him work. All right, guys? Bill Bright put it this way. Take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and then just trust the results to God. And then reach this town for Jesus. And as I close, I want to tell you, if you don't know Jesus today, the gospel is pretty simple. He loves you more than you can ever know. Uh, you are sinful just like me, and that separates you from God, just like sin separates any anyone from anyone. Right? If I, What's your name? No. Don, if I punch you in the nose right now, Don, uh, probably you're not going to be calling me to want to hang out tomorrow afternoon, right? (laughs) That sin would separate a friendship. Sin always does that. And so even though God loves me, my sin has separated me from him. Jesus died to pay for that sin. But every one of us has to come to a point of saying, I'm going to accept what you did at the cross to pay for my sin. I'm going to let you come in and take control of my life and be Lord and Savior of my life. I would encourage you, I'm not going to do a typical altar call right now. Whoever you are, you should all go do the solarium in a minute. We'll have it at four tables. But especially if if you're at that point of wanting to make that decision, do that solarium with one of these guys back here and talk it through with them and and get some more answers. Can, Can I hand it over to you, Dave? Okay. Thank you guys so much.